What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we are talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. And oh boy, is this a fun one because there's a ton of really intriguing pitchers. I imagine by the time you're listening to this, um, there's a chance that Tyler Glasnow is not on the Rays anymore. I'm going to talk about him here in this one. And then I'm going to, you know, probably strip this out and add it to another one if he does get dealt. But for overall here, Tyler Glasnow... I'm more encouraged than I was before about um, having it on my fantasy teams. And why is that? Uh, Bubba in the Bloom had a fantastic podcast. You can go check out. I uh, Talking about the top 15 in ADP versus the next 15, that is 16 through 30. And showcasing how there were a lot of busts inside that top 15. And it wasn't necessarily because of volume, but because of performance. You had guys like Shane Bieber, you had Dylan Cease, which, of course, we weren't really encouraged about still. We thought, yeah, Shane Bieber had 200 strikeouts a year before. He should be a little bit better than that. Same with Dylan Cease and all that kind of stuff. Um, You also had, like, Alec Minot, but that was on the back half of it. Uh, You had these guys that just did not produce when they had volume. Tyler Glasnow is not one of those. And there's something to be said about having a pitcher that, yes, I understand 120 innings last year for Glasnow was the most he's ever had uh, in the majors. And... There was Tommy John holding him back. There were back issues. And it's unlikely for him to go and extend it 150, 160 in the year ahead. However, we should expect production. He still had over 160 strikeouts in those 120 innings. And Glasnow still has a really good four-seamer. Actually, increased its swing strike rate finally. What's also really funny is that he's known as like the poster boy for... Uh, high four-seamers. Remember, he was on the Pirates, and they didn't want him to throw upstairs fastballs, and he, all he wanted to do was that, and then he got, went to the Rays. And there's a story of him saying, hey, Rays, can you please throw high fastballs? And then you go, well, yeah, that's why we got you, to throw high fastballs. And yet, he has a sub-40% high location on fastballs, which is bad. It is such a low percentile of fastballs. It's like 10th percentile of four-seamers that are upstairs. It's so funny to me. And if Glasnow ever can find that consistency of actually throwing that four-seamer in the upper third uh, a lot, that is like 60% of the time, my gosh, he explodes. The problem is that he is such a long uh, arm circle, because he's a very lanky guy, that the consistency of that timing is just so difficult. He is a very north-south pitcher, so that means he is pretty much always trying to aim at the top of the zone. The cutter slash slider well, uh, it's the same pitch, kind of. Um, will always fall down from there, and then the curveball will fall down further. It's just about him really just trying to hit one spot every time. It's pretty funny to me. And it also makes it very simple. But anyway, uh, Glasnow is going to produce. That That's really the matter of it. Sure, he could, um, by the time you listen to this, he could be on a different team. And it could be a worse team context. It won't be to a point that I don't expect a low whip from him. That I don't expect uh, fewer strikeouts. Maybe the wins won't be there as much. Maybe the ERA, which can teeter at times because when he loses his command and has that four-seamer and uh, slider and curveball really in the middle of the zone, then, yeah, they can get hit. Those ICRs are not good, surprisingly. Um, And I really don't like how people talk about Glasnow's curveball as this amazing, oh my gosh, it's batting average allowed is so low. I get it. It's also why Kodai Senga's is so low. It's the same kind of thing on his forkball, by the way, because he only throws it in two strike counts and he only has a 53% strike rate. So that means when he throws it, it's in the dirt and the zone rate's super low that it's really rare for him to A, throw it for a strike in the first place and uh, for like inside the zone and B, 
than to be in a situation where batters wouldn't be expecting something else, right? So he ends so many bats with strikeouts. That means the ear, the the average is always zero for those. And then the balls in play are matched against that. Makes sense? Okay, cool. So Glasnow is actually moving up my drafts a bit, uh, draft ranks a little bit, just because um, relative to the under possible injury risks, I think I believe most in Glasnow producing in the times that he does. So I think he's going to be above Freed for me. He's going to be above Peralta. He's going to be above Bueller. I don't know where I am on Bueller yet. I, I might be pulling him down. Um, and one of the guys that really pushed against that was Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin goes, man, it's so interesting to me. We watched him, and I really encourage all of you, hang out with me weekday mornings, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's when I do these um, at Eastern time. I, I do these uh, podcasts. And I do these. Uh, uh, I watch over everybody, and we talk about it, and it's just a great way to start your day. Uh, so we watched some Zach Eflin. And Eflin, to me, I got to say, really impresses me right now. Um, his new cutter with the Rays is legitimate. I mean, sure, there are certain days when it wouldn't be there. Uh, the curveball is still excellent. The uh, sinker is used against righties the right way. And I love the fact that Zach Eflin is using his four-seamer correctly. It is not a good stuff four-seamer. It is probably stuff plus on it. I don't know what. what it's got to be like 90th percent or 90 stuff plus or something like that, right? However, how he uses it is correct. He only saves it for two strike counts. I think it was like 60% of his four-seamers are in two strike counts, which is 100th percentile. And he has a 92nd percentile put-away rate on it. So that is when he throws in a two-strike count, how often does it return a strikeout? About over a quarter of the time. That's really good. So Eflin is now taking this mediocre pitch and actually getting some value out of it too, which I love. The biggest knock on Eflin um, is what I would say. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One, I mean, just from like a performance standpoint. One, lefties is kind of weird. Jams cutters inside to them, which I think is good. This is a really good cutter and his just MO of saying, look, I'm going to go up and in with that cutter and and batter that inside to you. That generally does work. What happens, though, is that lefties get really smart with Eflin and they know, hey, everything that he throws, sinker uh, sinker aside, uh, you have that cutter and you have that curveball, are going to be coming into me. So I'm going to try and wrap around everything with the bat and really focus on away and then come in towards me as much as I can. Lefties already do this a lot, but I think even more so with Eflin because he doesn't have a good changeup. The changeup is really bad. He rarely throws it every so often. He knows that he has to, but there are times when he has to, then he elevates it too much and becomes a hit. We saw that with, say, Ozzy Albies battling and finally threw a changeup that was not the perfect one and he didn't get a good result, but he also had another one against the Twins that was a good result, right? So, so for Eflin... There's um, There are these difficult moments against lefties, and I still feel like he needs to find the right uh, path for that. Still, uh, and well, the second thing I really do want to mention is this was clearly a peak season. I mean, everything was just as good as it could possibly be. Um, there, there are so few pitchers, I couldn't even think of one off the top of my head, who have an 80th percentile ICR. That is when contact is made, it's good for the for the batter yeah it's 80th percentile for the pitcher that is it's really low and a 95 uh, 95th percentile strike rate so essentially you're throwing strikes and batters are not punishing them effectively there's your low whip right this is the um strike and icr combined really good whip stuff that makes sense but he still has a 3-5 era and that's because there are situations where i when things go bad for eflin it's more fragile than a guy that has just amazing stuff so I go back and forth on this 
I just saw a guy who had a really amazing rhythm season finding his new cutter. We saw times when he didn't have that cutter and it wasn't as good. The curveball is still very good. The adjustments from the Rays are good. The team context is great. He had 16 wins last year. But it was all a peak. And Eflin has a history of uh, of injuries. Actually, 21 and 22 combined makes up 31 starts that he matched in, in 2023, right? So you have to expect some sort of step back. And does that ERA at 3.5 turn into 4 as the whip goes up and the strikeouts go down a little bit? I don't know. I feel as if it's very safe and there's absolutely potential that he does hold a 25% strikeout rate again. And that's really nice. Uh, there are all these young guys I have ranked above Eflin. I don't know if I should be putting Eflin above them or not. The potential for all those to be like your SP1 is higher than it is Eflin. Um, I don't really think their floors of, say, like your Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, Grace Rodriguez, Tarek Skubal is so bad. But they are lower than Eflin's. Not from a volume standpoint, from a skill standpoint, by quality per inning floor. So I'm I'm still messing around with this um, and trying to really figure out where I stand. Uh, but yeah, Eflin is not a bad pick in your drafts as an SP2. I, I, I think a lot of people are going to be doing that. And especially for those that are chasing wins, like I get that a lot. Uh, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. There's some intriguing stuff about the last three inside this rotation. We're going to talk about all of them after this break. Aaron Savali is a very interesting one to me. He came over to the Rays, and I didn't really expect him to really make any changes in season. It's a typical thing. You, you change teams in season. It's rare to all of a sudden be doing something new, like a new pitch or something like that. He actually did lean into a slider more, and I think that slider grades really well. Uh, there were times he was throwing it, um, I think, over 10% of the time, if we're not really throwing it at all. And I think we might actually see that for Savali next year. Meanwhile, his four-seamer has stupid high induced vertical break. Now, the extension is not very good, and the VAA isn't very good um, for Aaron Savali. Pretty much the, the four elements of a good four-seamer, five actually, I should say, is high location, um, high velocity, uh, is obviously induced vertical break. That is essentially just does it rise, right? Does it miss bats above it when you throw it upstairs, right? Or even downstairs too. Um, does it spin and everything, make it stay higher up for longer? Okay, that's all you mean by IVB. Um, VAA is just the angle that he throws it, and if you're throwing it upstairs, which you want to normally with a four-seamer, it's better to have a flatter one, because the angle is better and harder to hit. And he doesn't have a good one, he has more of a steep one, which is easier to hit. And then an extension, an extension, uh, kind of limits the, uh, the ability of this as well, it makes it essentially easier to hit too. So, even though he has a high-induced vertical break, the extension is bad, the velocity is bad, the, uh, it's fine. It, I mean, it's like 92 or something. The uh, um, the VAA is bad. The locations, though, are actually kind of good. He does lean a little bit upstairs. Um, I think that Aaron Savelli can actually get a lot more out of this fastball uh, four-seamer if he does use it like Eflin. Just don't throw it until it's a two-strike count. And considering you're throwing these cutters that are really good, um, I've been saying for a long time, cutters and curveballs should make up like 70% of Savali's pitch mix. It's been around there, um, and I think that cutter when it doesn't flatten out, <laughs> it can be really good. It actually flattens out when it's arm side more so than when it's glove side. Um, but glove side of lefties, it destroys them. And uh, the curveball is really big. I mean, it's one of the biggest drops between a four-seamer and a curveball I think you'll find in the majors. So if Savali is going sinkers inside to right-handers, cutters inside to left-handers, curveballs all the time, two-seamers to mix up upstairs, and then the cutter is just kind of your all-around strike pitch also against right-handers, 
you've got yourself a legit pitcher here who can actually flirt with a 25% strike rate. Oh yeah, also the new slider, right? And that actually becomes a bigger thing against right-handers, maybe even to left-handers down and in. Like, there are really more things than I realized with Aaron Savali, um, and that kind of makes me excited. I think the Rays are going to, like, they could squeeze that out of him, um, not to mention, of course, the defense and the team contacts. Now, 120 innings uh, is really all we've seen from Savali over the years. He's never gone 25 starts. So those thinking he has that kind of consistency, oh yeah, I know what I'm getting through the year. Actually, health is a major thing with him. However, he does go deep into games. So when it comes to per game volume, Savali can go six. It was a Guardians thing though. Guardians allowed guys to do that. I don't know if the Rays will as much. Maybe they're trying to protect Savali and they could make him only go five. I don't know. I'm very curious about Savali. I originally had him as a Toby and I actually could see him more as a Holly now. Uh, moving forward, that is closer to a 25% strikeout rate as opposed to like a 20%, um, especially if the Rays do extract those things. So that's very fun for me with uh, with Aaron Savali, and I'm considering him more in my drafts as one of those guys to get later on and just kind of see if the pitch mix changes are there and how he approaches batters early on, because if there are some tweaks, there is potential here. Um, Taj Bradley, uh, I, I can't do this. <laughs> It's very simple to me. We know that Taj Bradley has the ability. Um, he's a P's, poor execution, awesome stuff guy for me. The four-seamer, amazing PLV marks because in really good IVB, um, good VAA, like good velocity, has all the things that we're talking about, just can't locate it. And watch a game of Taj Bradley. You will see, even when he has a high strikeout games, he just doesn't know where his stuff goes. Um, the cutter is a strike pitch, and he has this big curveball. And honestly, he's like a Tyler Glasnow light of trying to be north-south. But he just cannot locate. And uh, it's possible that uh, he can find some tweaks in the offseason. I have to believe that Taj Bradley is going to try as hard as he can to find command consistency. Because that's all he needs. Really, truly. Like, he just needs to find a way to always be peppering that four-seamer upstairs. Just live there. Be like Christian Javier in his peak season. Only there. And then you throw in this cutter and slider underneath. Like, do the Tyler Glasnow. But then again, Tyler Glasnow's command is really bad. But at least it's north-south, right? And he had he had better extension and more velocity. But Taj Bradley has this opportunity if he can do that. I just don't have faith about it. And uh, watching his mechanics is inconsistent. But when his shoulder's coming out and when his back foot is twisting and his hips and everything, and it's annoying to see it, there's a chance that he figures it out. So uh, I'm really going to be looking for that in the spring to see if Taj Bradley, pitch by pitch, and you can as well, just watch a game and really internally recognize do I feel like this guy is executing what he wants to execute with every pitch or is it just kind of going in a shotgun blast if it's going in a shotgun blast then no if it's like a curveball that isn't landing like down or like over the plate down it's like missing east west if you're missing a lot east west as Taj Bradley then you're really messing up so I don't want to touch Taj Bradley because of this because I really don't think I think people are going to be really in on just the potential of the what if of the strikeouts and stuff and I just don't think it's going to happen I think it's it's possible but I think the, uh, the the probability of it is lower than people are willing to admit. The Rays pitcher I want so much more is Shane Boz. You take Taj Bradley and you say, okay, cool, have an elite four-seamer and an elite uh, slider and a good curveball and a changeup and not terrible command. That's Shane Boz. We saw that in 2021. We saw that for a decent amount in 2022, a little bit. It was worse, but... He had Tommy John. It was clearly a UCL that was hurt. If you ask me, it was a tick down in the velocity. It was um, just a little bit worse here and there. And I want to believe that a healthy Shane Boz has, I mean, he's still a command. He still wasn't walking guys and everything too. 
I really just dig what he does so much. I think that quality per inning of Shane Boz is going to be great. It's just a matter of how much he's going to go. And it's really nice, honestly, where Shane Boz is going in a lot of drafts. I think it's underrating how good he will be when he starts. Um, there's a lot of talk about volume and how important that is. 15 teamers, I do understand more so of saying, look, I need a guy that goes, I can't just be getting all these unhealthy guys on my IL. And I get that, especially also in April. I don't know how long Shane Boz is going to go at first. I think the Rays are going to be a little slow with like four innings at first. But, I mean, you're quickly going to see five innings from Shane Boz. And then you're going to see six. I really believe that. Um, probably around 150 innings is what we see from a guy like Shane Boz. Uh, coming back from Tommy John, you just don't hit farther than that in your in your return from it. But man, I, I just think his skill set is just so good. And I don't think I'm going to regret starting Shane Boz on my teams. I just don't. So I'm looking at my 30s right now, and I see a lot of guys that are still kind of like, yeah, I, I believe they'll be better and not droppable, but like, is Gavin Williams actually going to put it together? Is Tanner Bybee going to have the same kind of season? And is, is he going to figure out his command? You know, stuff like that. And uh, Shane Boz to me is just, yeah, when he pitches, like he's going to be great. Um, on the fringe, we don't really have many to talk about. Obviously, like there's Zach Littell. Not really anything of interest, if you ask me. He's a 40% slider guy with, I mean, the slider has a 10% swing strike rate. Um, it's a heater that can get whiffs. Actually, has a higher swing strike rate than uh, his slider. But it's... Um, and he does go upstairs with it, and he does do the Blake Snell blueprint at times. I really think the the Rays are going to look to it more as a five-inning situation if they need some extra innings here and there, uh, which I'm sure they will with between Boz and Bradley and Savali, Eflin and Glasnow. Everyone has injury and uh, volume concerns, so you probably will see some of him, but I just don't think, especially in your 12-teamers, that you need to think about that at all. Deep win chance, essentially, on a desperate Sunday. Uh, Shane McClan hands out for the year. Really don't expect that to him to come back August 2023 TJS. And we know how the Rays are slow when it comes to guys. So don't really stash him or anything like that. Jeffrey Springs, kind of same thing. I mean, it was April last season, so it's possible he returns by July or August. But again, I think the Rays are going to be slow on that one too. It's possible you stash him and you see that. Um, keep in mind, like the amazing two starts he had in 2023 or really two and a half. Two of them were against the Tigers in the athletics before getting Boston, who actually wasn't a strong one on the road. So that wasn't like the best matchups really to showcase. Oh, hey, Jeffrey Springs is going to have a 40% called strike rate on his fastball and a near 30% swing strike rate on his changeup. Like, okay, not going to happen. Um, still good, obviously. You know, his philosophies aside. Um, and then there's Drew Rasmussen, who did not go underneath Tommy John. Instead, he's getting a hybrid uh, internal brace for his UCL, which actually has a, re- a faster return. Still imagine him like mid-season around the All-Star break. Um, I think his his arsenal is better than Jeffrey Springs. So if I had to stash one between the two of them, it would be Rasmussen. Um, and relevant prospects, we have Mason Montgomery and uh, Ian Seymour and Cole Wilcox. Honestly, none of these excite me, really. I mean, Mason Montgomery is a 91-92 guy um, who throws over the top. And there's just... N- Nothing like he throws too many fastballs. I saw one of the, the, the AAA games was like 70% fastballs, and they're like fine. 91 92, it's not really like the main thing. Um, not really a slider or a curve, and it's just don't or the change up rather. I, I don't think the Mason Montgomery is the thing. Uh, Cole Wilcox, I don't really even want to mention him much. Like he came back from Tommy John last year, and you know, he wasn't his former self. Hopefully, he can get back to like the 95 mile per hour fastball he had before. Um, slider was used to be a good thing we it's really one of those things that we got to follow him through the year and Ian Seymour is the one that might actually be interesting um 
Near 30% strikeout numbers in AA with uh, swing strike rates on 14.5%, 15%, which is cool. He's a command guy, and he has a tree of secondaries that work, um, and he commands this stuff. So on the left side, has an intriguing, like, deceptive delivery. Um, but it does look like his four-seamer plays up more so than the the uh, the velocity that it has. So Ian Seymour might be someone that you might be picking up this year. Definitely not someone you need to be drafting right out of the game. All right, that is it for today. Thank you all so much for supporting these podcasts. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. May your bat be low and your strikeouts high.